happy bright solstice, belated Hanukkah, early Kwanzaa, happy Yule, and Merry Christmas to you. Welcome to yet another episode of Crimes in Witch Demeanors. I'm your host, Joshua Spellman. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing the Witches of Winter. Did you know that many of the attributes of Santa Claus actually come from a beloved winter witch? The giving of gifts in a stocking if you're good, leaving you a lump of coal if you're bad, and the whole sliding down the chimney to do so shtick? Yeah, that's all plucked straight from the mythology of one of our winter witches. These tropes weren't assigned to Santa Claus until the 1812 book by Washington Irving, and they actually predate him by a few centuries. But be forewarned, not all of our witches are good. Some of them are frightening cannibals or violent hags that embody the ruthless spirit of winter itself. However, history suggests that these witches were not always old crones or even witches at all, but instead were once beautiful goddesses, transformed to boogeymen by the passing of the Edict of Thessalonica and subsequent attempts by the Roman Empire to stamp out the stubborn cinders of pagan religions. In fact, their origins may lie in the goddess of Artemis herself, whose temple was destroyed by none other than jolly old Saint Nick. Today, We'll be looking at these winter witches, investigating their origins, and see how Christianity managed to turn these divine goddesses into hook-nosed old crones who will rip out your organs and replace them with dirt. (laughs) Fun. But before we delve into today's topic, I do have to announce the winner of our giveaway. So the winner of the two soy candles and two crystal necklaces is... Dylan Morin, congratulations. I'll message you so you can pick out the fragrances and stones that you want and to get your details. And for everyone else who didn't win, I'm sorry. I picked the winner at random, but really, genuinely, thank you so much to everyone who left a review. Please don't go and change it because you lost because that's petty. But, you know, I just planted that idea in your head because I'm the only one that would have done that. But please know that I appreciate all of you and I cherish all of you. You're all absolutely stellar. So while I can't give you all gifts, I'm sure you'd all receive one from our first witch of the winter season, and our least horrific, La Bafana. Her origins, like most pagan traditions, have been obfuscated by the Christian church. But as we know, pagan traditions find ways to live on within the confines of Christianity, and La Bafana is absolutely no exception. Try as the church might to eradicate her from Italian tradition, La Bafana remained a stalwart of Italian lore, becoming inexplicably entwined in the story of the birth of Christ himself. In folklore, La Bafana is an old woman who flies around on a broomstick. She is covered in soot, and on the night of January 5th, or Epiphany Eve, she visits the home of every child in Italy, flying down their chimney to deliver candies, or more traditionally, dates and figs, into the shoes or stockings of children who've been good, and if you've been bad, she'll place a lump of coal, a stick, or a piece of garlic in your stocking. But regardless, La Bufana will always use her handy-dandy broom to sweep your floors before she leaves. Super nice. But in doing so, she sweeps away the troubles and the worries of the previous year in order to welcome in the fresh new energy and blessings that the new one will bring. The children of the house will often leave out a glass of wine and a small plate of food to thank Bifana for her gifts and for cleaning up after their mess. However, children must also be sure that they stay in bed when La Bifana comes down their chimney because if they don't, they're going to get cracked on their butt by her broomstick. So yeah, this whole chimney thing sounds familiar. In fact, the whole Santa Claus coming down the chimney was taken from her. Saint Nick did give out gifts, but traditionally he would chuck them through the window. He didn't fly down the chimney. 
But once the poem about St. Nick was written, this was kind of inserted into Santa Claus's lore instead of La Bafana's, but it's really her thing. La Bafana's name is said to be derived from the Italian mispronunciation of the word Epiphiana, which is Latin for the manifestation of the divine and is typically associated with the birth of Christ. However, other scholars suggest that Bafana's origins lie within that of the Roman goddess Stranua, or Strenia, who was actually the goddess of the new year. So those who subscribe to this idea suggest that the name Bafana instead was derived from the new year's presence that the goddess Strenia would give called Bestrina. That was a bold pronunciation of a word that I do not know how to pronounce. So one of these such scholars, John J. Blunt, wrote in his 1823 book, Vestiges of Ancient Manners and Customs Discoverable in Modern Italy and Sicily, writes, Bafana appears to be heir at law of a certain heathen goddess called Strenia who presided over the New Year's gifts, Strenae, from which, indeed, she derived her name. Her presents were of the same description as those of La Bafana, figs, dates, and honey. Moreover, her Solomites were vigorously opposed by the early Christians on account of their noisy, riotous, and licentious character. So La Bafana might have once been this beautiful goddess, Strenia, but even turning her into an old hag actually makes mythological sense in this particular instance. Being an elderly woman, La Bafana represents the year gone past, and in many parts of Europe, it was actually tradition to burn a puppet of an old woman at the beginning of the new year to represent its passing. So this doesn't have a direct connection with La Bafana, but in my mind, burning an old woman has to do with a witch, and La Bafana's a witch, right? So still an age-old tradition of Europe. Italian anthropologists have actually traced Bafana's origins all the way to certain Neolithic traditions and beliefs. In fact, La Bafana has a lot in common with our other winter witches, suggesting that they may all stem from the same primordial source, a goddess most likely associated with fertility and agriculture. So she stems from this goddess that Christianity tried to stamp down, but like most Christian holidays like Christmas and Easter and Valentine's Day, All Saints Day, and even Catholic saints, pagan holidays, and deities have always managed to persevere through time, albeit in new forms. Unlike the pagan gods before her who had their names changed and then became saints, Labafana actually managed to do one better. She inserted herself directly into the story of the birth of Jesus. Now that is what I call impressive. It's said that the three wise men, well, following the star to find the Christ child, came across Labafana's home in order to stay the night. She showed them hospitality, and once they departed on their journey, they asked Labafana if she wanted to come with them. Labafana hesitated but decided to stay home because she had a lot of sweeping and housekeeping and chores to do. Although once the wise men left, she quickly realized her mistake and regretted her decision, chasing after the magi. She gathered up gifts for the infant Jesus and tried to follow them and the star in the sky, but she got lost along the way. Sadly, Labafana never found the Christ child, and to this day, she is searching for him. So every year on Epiphany Eve, Labafana visits every child in Italy and leaves them gifts, because even though these children aren't the Messiah, Christ can be found in the hearts of all children. Oh, isn't that just so sweet? So sweet. So precious. Our next witches, though. Yeah, not so much. 
The Germanic winter witches and the Scandinavian winter witches are not quite the quaint grandmotherly figures that you'll find in Laba Fauna, and they're so frightening that they could probably scare the hooves off of Krampus. Krampus? So many ways to pronounce and mispronounce that as well. Long story short, they're kind of horrifying. The names of these Germanic witches are Frau Halle and Frau Perchta. While these witches are seen as distinct figures and most listicles and blogs will treat them as such, they're actually regional variants of the same entity, though one is less forgiving and a little bit more violent than the other. They really are one and the same, and they're known by many, many different names, including Frau Percht, Perchta, Hulla, Hulda, Hilda, Berchta, Bertha, Spielehol, Gauden, the list goes on and on, but essentially these are all just regional variants and other names for what is essentially the same entity. Frau Perchta is the variation of this myth that originates in Austria and southern Germany. So Perchta's name derives from an adjective meaning bright, and she's associated with, like Labafana, the 12 nights of Christmas and the Epiphany, the 5th and 6th of January. However, unlike our beloved little Italian nana, uh, Perchta doesn't bear gifts. It's actually quite the opposite. The 5th of January is known as the Eve of Pert. There are some linguistic gymnastics that you can use to get here, and I don't want to attempt speaking Old German, but you can take my word for it, or read the article Perchta, the Belly Slitter and Her Kin, A View of Some Traditional Threatening Figures, Threats, and Punishments, by John B. Smith in the publication Folklore. Frau Perchta's main concerns are mainly with feasting and fasting. She also shares an association with spinning wool and thread, but we'll discuss that more with Frau Halle since she's a little bit more strict about it. Perchta makes her rounds on the 12 days of Christmas, and if she finds that you've been lazy, she will take her knife, slit your stomach open, rip out all your organs, and replace them with garbage, rags, and rocks. Cute! And if you fasted or didn't eat enough on her feast night, she would execute this punishment just to make sure that you were full of something, I guess. A full belly on her feast night would ensure that her knife wouldn't be able to penetrate your skin and you'd be spared a horrific fate. She would also execute this punishment on misbehaving children, and she was known to also pick up broken glass from any unswept floors to cut the tongues of lying children. But it's really not all bad. If you placed some dumplings on your roof during Perchta's night, she may bestow your family with blessings for the new year. So all you have to do to escape her wrath is to eat till you're extraordinarily full. Some pieces of folklore say that you had to eat enough to throw up three times and then she'll, you know, let you go. And you also just have to be clean, which two things I love are food and cleanliness. But honestly, with the way that my mental health is going with the pandemic, I have like this lovely mental health layer cake. Oh, what are those? What's that pudding with the a trifle? I, it's like a trifle of like mental health issues. I have like seasonal affective disorder, regular anxiety, health anxiety, and then like regular depression, all like layered on top with whipped cream. Um, so with that lovely cake that I'm full of every day, um, I don't clean as much as I would like to because when I'm depressed, I don't clean and I don't eat. So um, it's probably safe to say that I would not survive an encounter with Frau Perchta. So goodbye, so long, farewell to you, my friends. 
Not only will Frau Perchta punish you for not eating enough on her feast day, she'll also punish you from abstaining from spinning or for spinning during times that you shouldn't. Which brings me to talk about Frau Hulla, who is closely associated with the activity of spinning and is actually the mythological figure that Perchta evolved from. I love this little tidbit. So apparently Frau Hulla's name was once thought to have been derived for the words meaning benign or merciful, but more recent research suggests that her name comes from a simple misreading of a Latin text from a word that simply means demon. Really reassuring. I love that. How did someone miss that? We love dead languages. But we know the church loves to call things that aren't Jesus demons. And some anthropologists actually believe that Frau Hulla or Hulda was actually a supreme Germanic goddess predating the likes of other members of the Germanic pantheon like Odin, Loki, Freya, and Thor by centuries. Old church texts actually use Frau Hulla and Perchta as synonyms for the goddess Diana or Artemis, and they have some morphological similarities. Frau Hulla, as well as Frau Perchta, since they're really the same person, are associated with the same things, such as spinning flax, the wild hunt, the spirits of dead infants that follow them around everywhere. They both spend the majority of the year hidden beneath a lake, inside of a well, or in a cave, and also possibly in the forest, and they emerge during midwinter for their feast days to ride about in their carriages. So while now they're mainly associated with the 12 days of Christmas, these days line up with other early pagan festivals such as Yule and Solstice celebrations. So like Perchta, Frahala also likes to dole out some pretty intense punishments. Typically, women would need to conduct a set amount of work before a certain day set forth by Frahala. For example, 10 reels of flax would have to be spun by the Wednesday before Christmas. If this task wasn't finished, there were a range of punishments that Frau Hulla would execute, including waking up to find that, you know, good old Frau Hulla had smeared her excrement all over your flax, making it completely unusable. Like Perchta, she may slice open your stomach and fill it with dirt. She might also boil you alive. But don't worry, not only will she punish you for not finishing your work in time and being lazy, She'll also punish you for being too industrious. If you spin flax at night or on certain celebratory days, she'll punish you much the same way. So you have to be really careful with Frahala. She's a little bit picky. You just gotta strike that right balance. But don't worry. Don't worry. It's not all bad. Frahala and Prichta also give out rewards to those who are good. Frahala promises a good year for every thread spun between Christmas and Epiphany, But again, if you didn't complete your work by the time she comes back to check on you, um, she grants the opposite, a bad year for every thread. So make sure you strike that balance. For women who keep a tidy home and complete their chores on time, she'll give gifts of silver coins. And any man who may fix her carriage when it breaks down will receive gifts of pure gold. So it seems to be just stay on her good side be clean, do enough work but not too much work, and, you know, you'll make bank during the holidays. As mentioned earlier, Hala and Perchta preside over the spirits of deceased infants. After Christian influence kind of happened, it was said that she would take in the spirits of the unbaptized and unnamed children. But don't worry, she's not mean to these kids. She takes care of their spirits in a very loving and nursing way. They follow her around in her carriage, 
on foot. They don't get to ride inside, but they're ghosts, whatever. In fact, Hollow was known to reward any of those who had pity or sympathy or even named one of these orphan spirits in her procession. And she would reward them with gold or with a very successful new year or other gifts. Very nice of them. This is probably more of the remnants of this goddess figure that she used to be. Frau Holla and Perchta would lead this ghostly train of dead babies in a very loving way, but our next winter witch, Gryla, the winter witch of Icelandic tradition, would leave um, dead babies in her wake. She loved to murder children. She loved to rip them to pieces. Here is a lovely poem from the Faroe Islands that was translated into English. Down comes Gryla from the mountains, with forty tails, bag on back, sword in hand. Comes to cut the stomachs of the children who are crying for meat in Lent. Just listening to that poem, you probably already see some similarities. Gryla is also very fond of slashing open stomachs and punishing those who disobey certain traditional feast rules. And unlike our previous witches who may either appear as a beautiful maiden or a crone, Gryla is a lot more gruesome in her appearance. She is described as an ogre, a troll, or a giantess. She's portrayed as either having three heads or 300 heads, each of which either has three icy blue eyes or eyes as black as hell on the back of her head or heads. Her ears are long and either swing along at her shoulders or fuse with her nose. She may or may not have a beard and also has horrible dental hygiene. Her teeth are said to just be black, sharp stones. She has grotesque fingernails. And the descriptions don't end there. She may also have, as stated in the poem, 40 tails or 15 tails, but we're not done yet. She also carries a large sack on her back filled with children, or she carries 100 sacks filled with children, and she also wields a sharp sword. During the 12 days before Christmas, she descends from her mountain home where she lives with her husband, her giant man-eating cat, and her 13 sons known as the Yule Lads. We'll get to them later. They're pretty fun. Gryla wanders the Icelandic snowscape searching for naughty children, or after Christianity was introduced, those who have eaten meat during Lent. However, if there are no bad children to steal, it's not like she just gives up and goes home. No, she'll snatch up the nicest little boy, the nicest little girl, throw them into her sack, take them up to her mountain home, where she would then proceed to use her stone teeth to rip apart their flesh raw. Or if she's feeling a little bit more civil, she might boil them into a stew where then she would use a large shovel as a spoon. You know, she doesn't seem as cultured as our other winter witches, but we can't help but stan. So keeping up with a theme from our winter witches, unlike our others, Gryla won't slit open your stomach for not spinning your wool. But her cat will. Gryla has an enormous cat called Yola Curtain, which I know I'm mispronouncing. It just translates to Yule Cat. So this cat stalks the frozen winter nights in Iceland, which, by the way, it's dark most of the day in Iceland during the winter. Um, But yeah, this cat will stalk, looking to mutilate and devour anyone who has tattered clothing or didn't receive new clothes for Christmas. And at first thought, this seems like highly classist. Like, what if you can't afford to buy new clothes? This kind of myth was originally aimed at those who didn't make new clothes. 
Essentially, Iceland's main source of income and industry back in the day was wool, and the whole entire family partook in this process. So Yule Cat was a tool that encouraged young children to do their share of work so that they would have new warm clothes for the coldest part of winter that comes around Christmas time. So the Yule Cat, more or less, much like Frau Hulla or Parchta, was used to make sure that people did their work, but also this made sure that kids didn't freeze to death in the tough Icelandic winter. So yes, everyone knows about Gryla and her Yule Cat. I've seen listicles and Facebook posts everywhere, but what we don't talk about are her sons. Her sons are amazing. Her sons are called the Yule Lads, and in more modern times, the Yule Lads have become like these Santa-like elf figures that place candy in the shoes of kids who've been good and place potatoes in the shoes of those who've been naughty. However, traditionally, they are a little bit more sly little prankster spirits that are out to ruin your day. There are 13 canonical Yule Lads. There's upwards of 400, depending on what poem you read. But the 13 are like the ones that are accepted as being the true Yule Lads. On the 12 days leading up to Christmas, each of the Yule Lads make their way down from the mountain. And then starting on Christmas Day, they depart in the order that they arrived. So therefore, each Yule Lad stays for a total of 13 days. So they begin to arrive on the 12th of December, and the last one leaves on the 6th of January, which, as we know, is Epiphany. Epiphany is a lot more of a thing in Europe. That's why a lot of these stories kind of revolve around Epiphany. Here in the U.S., we're obsessed with just Christmas. So anyways, back to the Yule Lads, because I'm obsessed. Each Yule Lad has a literal name that describes a very, very specific prank. Now, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce their Icelandic names because I'd be mortified to even try. I'm embarrassed even thinking about it. So these are the 13 Yule Lads in the order that they arrive, in the pranks that they pull. The one that comes down first on December 12th, his name is Sheepcoat Claude. He absolutely loves to harass sheep and chase them around and taunt them, but there's one problem that Sheepcoat Claude has, and that's that he has peg legs. So he's a little bit impaired as he's taunting the sheep, which is really cute and hilarious. Next up, you have Gully Gawk. And as it kind of says, he hides in gullies and gawks. What he does is he hides in gullies, waits to sneak into the cow shed, where he will then steal any freshly squeezed, that sounds disgusting, fresh milk. He, He waits for you to leave and then he steals the milk. Our third Yule Lad is Stubby, which is really cute. His name is Stubby because he's really, really short. And what he likes to do is steal pans to eat the crust left on them. Which, I'm sorry, if you have crusty pans, you really should be scrubbing them better. Also, the next one, our next Yule Lad that comes down the next day is named Spoonlicker. He is extremely thin, malnourished, and lanky. And what he does is licks spoons. And that's why he's so malnourished, is because he only gets to eat what's on the spoons. It's it's really sad. Poor spoon licker. His next brother gets the better end of the deal. His name is Pot Scraper. And he scrapes pots for leftovers. Much like their next brother as well, Bowl Licker. And yeah, can you guess what Bowl Licker does? Yep, he licks bowls. He sits underneath the bed and waits for someone to put down their asker, which I guess is the type of bowl that has like this lid on it that were traditionally used. And then he steals it. Why you're eating from a bowl in bed, I don't know. But watch out for the bowl liquor. 
And then after bow licker, we have door slammer. And what does he do? He drowns his victims. No, he slams doors. He likes to do it in the middle of the night. He likes to wake people up. Make sure you don't get a good night's sleep. Then you have Skur Gobbler. He has a love of the food Skur, I guess is how you say it. It's kind of like this yogurty porridge thing, and he likes to gobble it. These names are really self-explanatory. I don't know why I'm explaining them to you, but next is Sausage Swiper. He likes to rip your genitalia. No, he just likes to hide in the rafters, and he steals sausages as they're being smoked. You may have thought that Sausage Swiper sounded vaguely inappropriate, but so does Window Peeper. And what does he do? He spies on you through the window. But not to, like, be weird. He only looks through the window for things to steal. So he peeps through the window, and then he just steals your things. So don't really have to worry. You might have to worry about Doorway Sniffer. This is the one of all of them. The name is Doorway Sniffer, but he doesn't sniff doors. He does have a large nose, and he does have a great sense of smell. He uses his giant nose to locate leaf bread. And then, the twelfth Yule Lad, you have Meat Hook, who uses his hook to rip and... No, he uses his hook to steal meat. It's a pretty literal interpretation, Meat Hook. The hook, he hooks the meat. No violence here. And then, last but not least, you have Yule Lad number 13, Candle Stealer. Do you know what he does? He steals candles. He follows children in the night to steal and eat their candles, which candles now are made with paraffin waxes, coconut waxes, and soy waxes. But back in the day, they would use rendered animal fat, which is known as tallow, and that was edible. Tasty. You'd think he'd be the one that was malnourished. And those are 13 Jolly Yule Lads, which is kind of the note that I more or less want to end this episode on. There is so much to discuss on the topic of winter witches, their significance with greater deities, cultural dissemination, the purveyance and evolution of pagan religions under the oppressive hand of Christianity, but it's honestly a whole entire thesis. I didn't even cover half the things I wanted to about these lovely ladies of winter, and it's like, I covered like four of them, but there's even more winter witches. There's another one in Scotland. There's just a whole bunch, but they're not as widely known as the ones that I discussed. But I think you could see that there was a common thread, no pun intended, between all of these winter witches. And they all kind of had to relate more or less to a couple things, which also tie them to the goddess Artemis or Diana. If you want to learn about that specifically, I'm more than happy to give you the resources because they are in proprietary databases. So here's a basic rundown of how they relate to the goddess Artemis. So they're all technically virgin huntresses that live in the forest. They're all associated with the nighttime. They're accompanied by beasts wherever they go. Artemis is usually followed by the stag, while these winter witches are most usually accompanied by wolves or in the case of Gryla, a cat. Most of them are teachers and protectors of youth, mainly Frauhala and Perchta and Labafana. Gryla, not so much in her myth, but you know, whatever. And they're all in one way or another associated with the spindle, which I guess Artemis used to be known as the Lady of the Golden Spindle. Am I making that up? I might be. Nope, that's from the Iliad. That is, she is the Lady of the Golden Spindle. Gotta make sure that I'm giving facts on my podcast that's supposed to be well-researched. 
But I hope that you learned something. Even if you've heard of these witches in a blog post or something, I hope you learned a little bit more about how they all relate to each other. Because a lot of these listicles just list them off and they don't really discuss their similarities or why these might exist. And it turns out that they all kind of stem from the same source. While some of them are just a lot nicer than others. I hope you enjoyed this short winter special. I hope you all have a wonderful holiday season for whatever you celebrate or don't. But I do think that we can all agree to celebrate one thing. Well, I guess two things. One, that the days are finally going to be getting longer again. Our days are going to be brighter. And hopefully with that, our outlook on life and the way things are going in the world will look brighter for us as well. And number two, we have a lot of things to worry about. We have a pandemic, we have unemployment, we have family who can be quite annoying in their own right. But one thing you don't have to worry about is being disemboweled by a winter spirit for not spinning your flax. Well, actually, us here on this side of the pod, we don't have to worry about it, but I do know that we have a few listeners that are from the regions where these lovely winter ladies prowl. So I guess... You don't have to worry about it, but maybe be careful just in case. I don't know. Just watch your back and just make sure you clean. I think if you clean, um, you'll be fine. But if you don't clean, hold on to your intestines. So that's it. That's today's episode. Please stay warm. Keep your organs from being torn out by old witches. Stay curious. And of course, stay spooky, my friends. (laughs) 